with these systems and the AI system that, of course, it's going to facilitate clinical research. It doesn't mean that we're not going to do research, but it will be cheaper to do. It will be more cost effective. It will be, you know, a, a less of a, a hurdle for companies to go in and say that they're going to generate these data sets, these original data sets for, for a subset of patients that, that may not have been possible to do before when, when you know, running clinical research without these AI tools. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. In the world of medical devices, time is usually of the essence. But here's the problem. Traditional product development processes are usually as slow as molasses. They cause delays and they're headaches for companies like yours. Greenlight Guru is the ultimate solution for medtech's biggest challenge. You may be facing lengthy development cycles that drain your resources and hinder progress, but we streamline the entire product development journey. We make it faster, we make it more efficient and less prone to hiccups. By centralizing your data management, automating your workflows and allowing real-time collaboration. It's all here. It's designed to propel your projects forward. And guess what? Regulatory compliance is built right in. It reduces the risk of costly revisions and ensuring you stay on track. With Greenlight Guru, you're not just developing products, you're accelerating progress, making a difference when it matters most. Don't let inefficiency hold you back. Embrace innovation with Greenlight Guru. Go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Global Medical Device Podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols. I'm the host of today's episode. Today, I'm really excited to have Maria Nyakern with us. Dr. Nyakern has experience in the medical device industry as a clinical research scientist and entrepreneur across the spectrum of early stage startups to large multinational organizations. In 2017, Maria founded Akern Scientific Consulting, a European medical device CRO. As CEO, she led a 50-plus team of consultants supporting manufacturers in the regulatory and clinical development of medical device technology. Akern Scientific Consulting was acquired by NAMSA in 2022, and since then, Maria has sort of developed an interest in AI, which is kind of leads us to the topic that we're going to be discussing today. Um, and I'll let you kind of speak to how that interest has developed. But today we're going to be talking about AI and how it affects medical devices and, and kind of just the the entire geo uh, political world that is the sur surrounding AI as it pertains to medical devices. So Maria, how are you doing? And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to this, to this show. I'm really excited to be here today to speak to you about this very relevant topic. And uh, today is the 12th of December. Not sure I can say that, but we recently no, yeah. had some really relevant updates on the field of AI regulation. So I'm, I'm excited to share that with you and a bit how I see the, the regulation around AI uh, with a specific focus on medical devices, which is, of course, the my topic of interest. Perfect. And no, I don't know, we don't talk about the date very often, but my traceability experts out there will now be able to determine whether, you know, how long it takes for me to edit and get an episode out. So I'm that's that's good. So the thing to me, you, you mentioned the the timeliness of this topic. It really is timely because what was it last week that the AI yeah. Act was released? Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so you know, it's uh, basically, I will let me scroll back a little bit in time in 2019. Yeah 
we started to see a lot of um, artificial intelligence um, software as medical devices appear on our radar and clients that needed help to bring this through the, the regulatory framework uh, in, in Europe. And at that time, um, it, it seems incredible now, it's four years ago, but it was really, there was a guideline, we know we were stumbling by because of course this fell under the medical device regulation um, law, the medical device law in Europe. But, but in addition to that, it was, uh, it was a, the release of a guideline from a European perspective, FDA had something similar. And, and we, we always uh, discussed, you know, what the topic was at the moment, which was that we needed to develop trustworthy uh, AI systems. And this word trustworthy, I bring that up because from a European perspective, it contains two uh, really important terms. It's the trust and uh, that you have to be able to trust these systems and that they have to be worthy of humans. So uh, I think that now that we have seen the AI Act uh, develop over, I mean, these, uh, at least since 2021, when the Europe, European Commission first proposed this legislative text, and then, you know, it goes through the parliament and the council, it's like three political um, stakeholders that have to agree on this. Um, it has been continued to refine and develop, but but these two, this word in itself, trustworthy, keeps on appearing, and it's a, it's a really important component of this AI Act. And then finally, now last Friday, they agreed on it, and people celebrate it, uh, or they think that it's the death uh, of innovation in Europe. It really depends on which camp you are in. And I guess we can leave our opinions aside, but do you know uh, d d what are some of the reasons someone might be uh, feeling like it's the death of innovation? Well, I think it's it comes to, to a bit how um, how tech industry and how innovation and how an economic model uh, is developed in in U.S. versus Europe. We know that that uh, the the European policymakers are. Uh, a bit more um, cautious and, and regulates rather than being perhaps more reactive and, and dealing with things as they appear in the US. But it that doesn't just you know relate to AI system. It's it's tech in general. Of course, we know that, and it, uh, it 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 reflects the different cultures between the two the two continents and the way that we do business. I think that, you know, I work in compliance and regulation. So, of course, uh, I am the wrong person to criticize any type of regulation and especially the AI Act. I think that it's a, it's a very good uh, beginning. It's like, you know, as, as the uh, medical device uh, regulation also developed and it, it stemmed from problems during the 2010s to, due to different scandals uh, with safety on medical devices. This AI Act has developed, you know, uh, I, I see so much similarities, of course, with the medical device regulations. I think it's a pretty solid, good start. How this is going to affect potentially uh, negatively innovation. I think as with the medical device regulation manufacturers and develops, they have to adapt and do as good of a uh, uh, do and do a good job to understand the regulation and the legislations and and uh, comply with it and and rather sooner rather than later so of course if you enter into uh, you know 
late in the game, trying to get your product on the market without having understood what this means early on in the process. Of course, it's going to be much more difficult. Um, and, and, and then similarly to what we have seen with the MDR, of course, we, we, there was a blockage there uh, due to resources. You know, the p- pandemic came in the middle. There was a lack of resources at the notified body. So there were a couple of uh, roadblocks that uh, uh, probably made manufacturers and, and the industry quite frustrated with, with the medical device regulation. But as in, you know, the regulation in itself, um, I don't see that it was something negative. Uh, on the contrary, uh, and I say I think it's the same for the AI Act. Also, I think it's I yeah. think it's a good start. And I'm perhaps extending a bit, so you have to cut me there. No, no, you're totally fine. That it's interesting because I look back at why why in 2023 did AI burst onto the scene suddenly? We could you know pontificate about that and probably not really pinpoint it. It's probably a lot of different things. But at this point, it almost feels like different countries want to be the best to handle it, whether that's um, the European AI Act or uh, the U.S. now has come out with the executive order. I believe that was October. uh, Well, actually, let me look it up. I've got uh, October 30th, the executive order on how the U.S. will handle artificial intelligence. And in some ways, it it almost seems like a space race uh, to get to that, to, to, to handle um, the technology before it becomes the AGI, the artificial general intelligence, the idea that um, th- th- that that this AI can have human cognitive abilities um, to, to handle unfamiliar tasks. And so how are we going to handle that with, with, with a medical device itself? One of the things that the U.S. came out with was the predetermined change control plan. And uh, which I think some some people may be stretching to be more applicable to to handle changes in software than it really is meant to be. But I'm wonder, I'm wondering, does uh, have you seen something like that or similar to that with the EU uh, legislation around the uh, regulation of medical devices? The, are you familiar with that? And it's okay if not. Yeah, no, I can. Uh, the the predetermined is it, is it uh, change or Is it something related to minim, minim, uh, minimizing bias and and uh, having robust data? Yeah, there's a couple I'm things there. The yeah, no. So the predetermined change control that they came up with their acronyms because we all love our acronyms. PCCP. Uh-huh. The idea is if you have an AI or ML machine learning device, then you know some things may change, so the algorithm has a certain amount of uh, change in the future. So what you are submitting currently um, yeah. is going to be on your submission, but you also submit a predetermined change control plan with the understanding that we this is how we anticipate our device to change. And so we're going ahead and submitting that as well right now versus doing an internal letter to file later. This is more of a, hey, this is, this is how we in- anticipate. These are the certain parts of our algorithm yeah. that are unlocked. So that's the idea there. Yeah. It's not as extreme as we're going to change and diagnose different, different. Um, we're going to have different indications for use. It's it's not as wide open as a lot of people seem to act. But but that's that's kind of the idea. It's certain changes. 
Yeah, no, but it's true that, you know, in terms of uh, maintaining compliance and technical documentation there, I mean, this, this act is still not final. There is still, uh, you know, it needs to be the, the final regulatory text needs to come into place. And then, of course, I assume that there's going to be also some guidance documents around that to where, where there are gaps, actually, how do we uh, fulfill the requirements? But it's true that, you know, a big part of it is that, that you say that, you know, we would need to understand how, how might, might this uh, continue to develop and sort of do some type of gap analysis on where do we believe that this went and how what's actually happening in the post-market setting. Because one of the things that's really um, uh, similar between uh, the regulation of AI systems and medical devices to complex technologies to high-risk complex technologies. That's why the regulatory framework is so similar in a lot of aspects. It's also the focus on, you know, what happens, it's not just entering to the market, but what happens in the post-market setting. And we all know, at least you and I know, that uh, a big shift in the the life cycle uh, development and the, the mindset of manufacturers of medical devices was that you know you needed to have a much clearer focus what happens uh, in the post market setting. It's not just a question of getting you know your pre market approval and getting you know your CE mark in the case of of medical devices in Europe, but it's also doing this uh, follow up uh, uh, along the life cycle of the of your product. And this is also a very strong component uh, in, in, in regulation of AI systems. It's, uh, it's minimizing, of course, data bias. It's making sure that the systems are fair and that they uh, respect the data privacy policies. And, and similar to in a post-market setting where we are obliged to collect uh, data on incidents, uh, adverse events or, or incidents, there's going to be this also type of oversight uh, on the AI systems how and, and report it in a publicly available database, and just as, as the same way we do with devices. How is this oversight going to be managed? In the case of, um, of course, medical devices, it's notified bodies. In the case of AI systems, they speak now about an AI office or... Um, an AI board. I mean, these are just terms for the time being, but um, I think uh, we have now a two-year uh, grace period uh, where I guess uh, the exact date in 2025 when everybody will have to have adopted to this. I don't know what that date is yet, but but they're speaking about the, a two-year grace period. Okay. And so I'm going to kind of go off into the opinion land for you for just a moment. So feel free to punt and, and just ignore this question and move on to a different one if you like. We talked a little bit about before we got on how we sort of get off track. So I don't mean to get us too far off track, but you mentioned something that I thought was really good in that the AI and medical device, the, the, the AI regulation is similar to medical device regulation for these different reasons. And you kind of separated them a little bit because that really is a good way to look at it. I like this categorical thinking and this AI is a technology that that has its own regulation. Soft uh, medical devices is a technology that has its own regulation and you bring those together as an AI medical device. Now you're you're kind of playing in two worlds. So do you see AI professionals becoming a, a bigger need into the medical device world or are you going to see medical device 
Uh, I mean, this is a hard to predict, but but no, medical no, no, I, yeah. I see that the, our competences are, uh, you know, med tech professionals, people with with the experience of medical devices, clinical and regulatory experience. We have highly trans uh, transferable knowledge going into AI governance. Absolutely. I mean, one of the you should know that again. I'm speaking about the European regulatory landscape. Sure. One of the most uh, regulated products in the European market, you know, beyond pharma. Okay, but speaking about the uh, CE mark, and uh, uh, it's 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 of course uh, medical devices. So having understood that regulatory framework, it was very clear that you know whenever you develop a, a regulatory framework related to another high-risk, complex technology, it would be foolish to not build on your knowledge around, you know, the MDR, especially where we came from, from a directive that had, you know, holes in it and that created products that, that of course, the, our politicians and our policymakers needed to deal with, that, that we had products on the market that were not safe and, and that did not perform as intended. So I think uh, the the policymakers bring now with them a wealth of knowledge and a um, a culture of how they would like to develop regulations in Europe that 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 the European audience feels comfortable with. And you always know that there is this constant conflict: what the industry wants and what the policymakers want to protect the to protect the safety and the well-being of of the citizens of the European Union. So um, since I myself come from a long background of medical device uh, training and regulation, I found it quite natural to just step into this new, brave new world of, of uh, uh, AI development and how, how to, to adjust and adapt to the regulatory framework that is going to be uh, put on us. And uh, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for a lot of people working in this ecosystem, med tech, to sort of, um, you know, uh, brush off their knowledge, uh, take some additional courses, make sure that they understand uh, the, the fundamentals of uh, what AI means, and definitely uh, keep a focus on this new AI act and see how they could become a, uh, one of these uh, uh, spokespersons and and uh, consultants or business opportunities or you, you know it's the 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 opportunities are endless especially for people and folks that that come from medtech they won't find it so difficult to 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 create some new space for themselves in in AI governance especially of course when it comes to medical devices but I think um, uh, for any of the of the high risk um, AI systems, I think they they will be able to yeah uh, adapt pretty easily. I, I love that. It, it's very encouraging because a lot of people I've talked about are intimidated a little bit by AI, maybe the the, the technology itself or the um. But honestly, like you said, you have that background. You can that those are transferable skills. So there's no reason to be intimidated. It's a brave new world. And you have my respect for really diving into that. So if we kind of come full circle, your original your um your background is is pretty heavy in medical devices and clinical investigations. So what if we tie this together? What specific aspects do you think medtech professionals need to be thinking about as these AI regulations come come to play? Um, and, and maybe 
I don't know how we want to attack this, whether it's if you're developing an AI device um, or, or or if you're just in general developing a device, but but AI can help you do that. What um, what what's your advice and yeah. going either direction? So, um, you I know, I choose one first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, where I would like to start is, of course, data quality and data integrity, because uh, being having spent so much time in, in clinical research and and being involved, let's say, in the last phase of uh, uh, the development of a medical device, which the clinical investigation is sort of the culmination of, you know, when you have done your risk assessment and, and the risk management and, and whatever risk you cannot mitigate for or explain, of course, you have to bring your product into a clinical trial or clinical investigation to make sure that it's, you know, you can mitigate for that risk and prove that your device or your product is safe and performs as intended. So part of the, uh, the de development of clinical investigations ha has always been the, the, the quality of your data and the integrity of your data. So um, designing a clinical investigation is, of, has, is also a question of mitigating for bias. And we do this in science in different ways. You know, it's, it's whether we look at male versus female or uh, age or, you know, ethnic uh, um, what do you call it? Eth eth ethnicity. Yeah, ethnicity. Yeah. <laughs> ethnicity. yeah. <laughs> so uh, um, that is, uh, it's becoming more relevant, of course, than ever uh, compared uh, now when we are uh, looking at clinical investigations of, of AI systems. And also the data privacy, it's also becoming a fundamental um, critical factor also to take into consideration. We have, it's, you know, working with clinical data and uh, medical data of patients, of course, privacy is, is a hu huge thing, but uh, it's, I think we are just, you know, we, we are at the same place as yesterday, but, you know, multiply it by a thousand Whatever we need to pay attention to yesterday, we have to pay attention to tomorrow, but multiply it by a thousand. Because also the systems that we have created, they are they are getting more and more, of course, vulnerable to attacks because as all this technology is growing, we have uh, a lot more data available and, and we share all this data. That's why we are, are able to develop um, this is AI systems to begin with because there's so much data available and having all of this huge amount of data uh, and being able to analyze it's one of course one of the strengths of of uh, an, an AI system but of course the those systems are um, um, vulnerable to to data privacy attacks and also I would say the data integrity in general yeah that's that's a good point so when we look at this from a product versus a process standpoint, um, it's interesting because I, so if we stay on the process side, so we're using AI to help us analyze that data. I see a lot of different opportunities for that. Have you, uh, what are your thoughts on the product? If the AI is the product that we're starting to, uh, to produce and we're going to go through a clinical investigation with an AI software as a medical device, are there specific issues that we should be thinking about or, or or thoughts or considerations you might have on how to fully investigate that as it pertains to the AI versus anything else? Or is it really just 
another a, a, another medical device or are there are there anything specific that you think that we need to be considering as we put a, an AI through a clinical investigation? I think, of course, something that we had never, as far as I could think about, we haven't really been considering before how we keep, you know, the human uh, in the process, you know, because you, the you, humans were always in the process before. Any type of tool that we have been working with before, uh, whether it's, you know, it's it's a, it's, it's a hands-on device or or a software you know, it was always, you know, a traditional type of tool where, of course, everything we did was human centric and, and humans were always kept in the loop. Now, this is sort of an add on that we, we, we really have to be conscious and, and, and build that in and make sure that these systems are foul proof in terms of having, you know, the human decision making in, in the entire clinical setting. And, uh, I think also, um, it will be important to uh, now. No, I got lost. <laughs> no, no, that's the, the, I, it. Kind of makes me go back to that word that you used at the very beginning. That word trust, because I never really thought about that before. You know, everybody has a slightly different perception of the facts that they are presented with. You know, based on your background, based on your experiences, and so um, to be able to trust each other. One person told me, and I. I Maybe this is relevant. Maybe it's not. You can tell me. But one person told me, he's like, we can't all have a common understanding if we don't have a common background because people talk about common knowledge and how it's not very common anymore. Uh, no. Well, yes, common sense. Uh, that, that's the word. Common sense isn't common anymore, but it's because we don't all have a common background. So the, using an AI to test something versus using an AI to be tested, they both present different challenges. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of what we were talking about. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's remarkable. I just, you know, I think yesterday I saw that uh, uh, these large language models have, I mean, they've learned so many things, things that we don't know that they have uh, picked up on the way. But for example, they are less efficient in providing you answers, the chat GPT, for example, in December compared to May, because it, it has learned that in December productivity tends to go down while in May, it's one of the most productive uh, months of the year. So just by telling the, the chat GPT, for example, we are in May, it's the output increases. While wow. it sort of knows the date that we are in December, the, the output decreases. So of course, the, the amount of bias that we have in, in, uh, in clinical research, uh, a huge thing, we already know that the, all the clinical data that we have collected on average is from a white male that's 65 years old, you know, and from the Western world. So just going into, uh, you can imagine everything that now our uh, language, large language models are trained of, of course, uh, is biased towards a certain set of viewpoints, a certain set of ideas, a certain set of what is considered um, common sense. Mm -hmm. But as you said, there's, of course, no absolute uh, uh, context of what is the common sense for everybody. Yeah. You know, I've sort of latched onto the idea or, or, or the wording of AIs versus AI, because we tend to look at AI as just one big thing. A lot of the world seems to just artificial intelligence. It is one thing when really we have AIs, we have different sets of data that, uh, that, that we're using. And 
this is purely a speculation on my part, so you keep me honest here. But when I think about the bias in clinical investigations or clinical trials, so that's that's been a big big push for the FDA on the U.S. to really eliminate that bias and and to increase diversity uh, in those clinical investigations. Will we get to a point where we'll be even more specific rather than having a big set of data across all different sets of diversity, ethnicity, nationality, all that you mentioned there? Um, will we get more focused uh, and, and then have very specific clinical investigations for this specific uh, set so that you could have assigned different data sets based on um, ethnicity, nationality, uh, almost going the other direction of widening the scope rather than just narrowing the scope and going deep? I think there are two things to that. You know, one, uh, in a perfect world, we would go the direction where you are sort of uh, indicating um, um, if we would have an unlimited set of data, of course. You right. know, we would not be, we would not have to generate, you know, every time a new clinical investigation. Imagine we would, you know, be able to access all the data that's that's available and uh, uh, you know have uh, an analysis and and not every manufacturer repeats what you know we have done a thousand times before so that's that's of course an ideal an ideal perspective however to get to that we need all of this variety of data and we don't have that today so how are we going to i mean we would we would need to continue because we are the models are only as good as the data that it's fed with, and the more uh, you know, we are like one year post launch of ChatGPT now, and when you know the word AI ends up on everybody's lips, and during this year, I, I again don't quote me on the exact data, but I, I think that we we are seeing already like thirty percent of what we see on the web is already AI generated. And the further we go with this, you know, it's like, you know, you're biting your own tail. It's, it's your, yeah. your the model itself becomes corrupted by not having access to original data, but more and more of just AI generated data. Of course, in this sense, uh, clinical research, the area that we're in, and, and um, it's, it's going to be so relevant to continue and generate original data because that's, of course, what's going to get us out of this um, bias situation that we are in. And how we will do that, you know, because that's the same way that, that I mean, we've been speaking about this for at least, at least a decade, that the lack of data related to, to the female population or to minorities it's a big handicap in clinical research with these systems and the AI system that, of course, it's going to facilitate clinical research. It doesn't mean that we're not going to do research, but it will be cheaper to do. It will be more cost effective. It will be, you know, a, a less of a, a hurdle for companies to go in and say that they're going to generate these data sets, these original data sets for, for a subset of patients that, that may not have been possible to do before when, when you know, running clinical research without these AI tools. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense to you. No, it does. It, it's actually really exciting to hear you say that because when you when you were first start, started talking, you talked about all of the thousands of different clinical trials that are going on. Potentially, if we if that data was available to everybody, maybe you could reduce that number quite a bit. Yeah. Um, like you said, it, it would be a perfect world to have an isolated set of data for um, this particular 
um, class of person or not class, but but um, type of person or whatever you want to define that as, and then provide that to every every medical device company. That's a really exciting possibility. I don't know how to accomplish that at the moment, but um, I guess we'll have to revisit. I start to say in 10 years, but at the rate things are going, maybe maybe in one year, we'll, we'll be closer to whatever it is. It's I going think to be. that. Yeah, I think that we, you know, again, I, I want to come back to the the perspective that I, I a lot of people, of course, are scared about job uh, displacement and and that we that there's no place for humans anymore in this new AI world. But I think that if you read, you know, the the, the text of the AI Act that we started to speak about at the beginning of our call and how how sort of uh, how noble the the role of the human is sort of uh, integrate how, how, uh, how uh, good I don't know how to say that yeah no the, the, how it's uh, it, it we're going to be going much faster than we ever had before but we're still at the we should still be at the helm I don't know exactly what you're trying to say yeah 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 it is I think that you know we 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 you know um I have to think about the quote that Einstein said, you know, we, we have created a society that uh, it's something with intuition. The intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Exactly. So one of the things, you know, with the, with the new system that Google launches Gemini, which says that now it can reason, you know, and it with what's one of the over the past few weeks is like, okay, wh- when are they going to be able to to reason these systems? And and that's what they say now that the Google Gemini has the capacity to do. Yeah, but beyond reasoning, there there there's so much more to this uh, equation where I believe that. Uh, humans uh, have uh, a special place in, the, of course, in this ex- ecosystem, and and perhaps it is what this quote from Einstein said that you know we, uh, the intuitive mind. How was it? The it's intuitive a sacred gift. Gift. And the and rational the rest- mind is a faithful servant. Faithful servant. We have created a society that, that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps that that's something that I think we should be mindful of, and 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 building into that, it's uh, remembering that that this is a human centric um, um, technology. Uh, it will be humans that will use it. Humans will ultimately need to control it somehow. I think the fact that we um, are facing this new type of coexistence. With artificial intelligence, and by the way, I mean we're using this word. I don't. I don't even know if artificial intelligence is such a great word to <laughs> uh, that describes it. Because then you not you you know you would immediately think about what is natural intelligence. Then are we natural intelligence, as in artificial flavoring versus natural flavoring, artificial light versus natural light? It's it, it's sort of just already gives like a negative uh, connotation and and makes you skeptical because we are skeptical to everything that we consider artificial and perhaps that's already something um that where we feel a a little bit um it, it puts it in a negative light when it really shouldn't have to be that way right you know i i like that you brought out that quote too because it does make me think yeah that the there 
there does seem something intuitively different about an artificial intelligence, even to if it, if it gets to the point where it reasons, like Jim and I have seen some of those videos as well, uh, um, versus a human. Um, and I look at them, if you were to compare side by side, the human has been trained on a certain set of data, right? I've, I have my experiences, grew up in Oklahoma in the US, I've been different, you know, all around the world, but not to extent as someone else. But then there's this AI that is to the point, uh, does it know things that I don't know? Well, sure. But are, are, is, is there a human element that we don't, maybe we fully haven't um, uh, teased out yet that there's that uh, something specific about that? I don't know. We're starting to get into some philosophical realm, which is hard for it. You know, it's, 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 it's irresistible almost for me. So I got to have to pull myself back. We'll definitely put the show, the links to all of the references we mentioned, the quote, um, the AI act, the, the predetermined change control plan. If anybody's interested in learning more about that, and then the executive order from the, the, the U S maybe at some point we can, as they get to be rolled out a little bit more in detail, we can maybe do a side-by-side -side comparison of these two and how, things are going to differ from the US and the EU uh, uh, a little bit more specifically. But what are your thoughts? Any any last thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I, I do actually have a one last yeah. I think It's so exciting because uh, compared to tech in general, uh, where females tend to be, you know, uh, fifth or 20% or something like that, I see that there's so many interesting uh, women uh, taking, you know, on leader leading roles in, in AI development. And especially from the U.S., so I think it's so exciting, and and we have some really great role models uh, that I think uh, both young and and uh, older uh, professionals can can look up to these great women, and and I think uh, that's also beyond uh, this as a technology, which I think has the potential of, I mean, solving uh, extremely complicated problems and 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 democratizing a lot of different areas anything from from research to entrepreneurship the fact that also we have such a, a new wave of female leaders in this tech area tech space i think it's really exciting and um, just as a last comment there was i think in the new york times two weeks ago they had a, a really big article about you know the leaders in in ai and remarkably enough, almost none of these women were mentioned there. And that was sort of uh, criticized in, in the yeah. social media. But I think we have the chance also to, to keep on pushing forward and, and highlight these female leaders. Yeah, that's great. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and talk to you directly? They can find me on, uh, on LinkedIn or uh, through my personal webpage. It's okay. my last Sounds good. We'll put links to those in the show notes. In the show notes, I, I may have cut you off. What's the name of the webpage? It's uh, my last name, nyakern.com. Okay, perfect. It's very easy to find me. All right. Thank you so much, Maria. Really enjoyed the conversation. And I look forward to maybe revisiting next year or having more conversations in the future. Really appreciate it. Definitely. Anytime. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Take care. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask a special favor from you? Can you leave us a review on iTunes? I know most of us have never done that before, but if you're listening on the phone, look at the iTunes app, scroll down to the bottom where it says leave a review. It's actually really easy. Same thing with the computer. Just look for that leave a review button. This helps others find us and it lets us know how we're doing. 
Also, I'd personally love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. I, I read and respond to every message because hearing your feedback is the only way I'm going to get better. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.